Hi there. Welcome to the OFM podcast where metabolic health matters. I'm your host, Peter Defty, uh, general manager of Vespa, that right there, and a pioneering person who uh, started this whole crazy thing about optimizing your fat metabolism to reach metabolic health. And today I, I'm bringing in Bryce Thatcher of currently of Ultra Aspire. And we're going to go back because Bryce has a huge history. We're going to talk about innovators, innovation, and why it's important that the general public really start to understand that journey of curiosity and, and innovation, because there's too little of it going on today. Uh, and people don't realize where that's taking us. And you can even see it like in tech. Most of tech today, it's stalled in the last five to 10 years, and it's just reiterations. But you're seeing this same stagnation with companies like Boeing, you're seeing in, in the pharmaceutical industry with just making formula changes, they can repatent and, and do it. It's, it's kind of going across and we'll talk more about the, the, what the ramifications of those are and how they happen later. But Bryce is an innovator. I've known Bryce for gosh, about 10, 12, 14 years, met him. I knew of his stuff before I actually met him, but I met him at a, at a running trade show and I just kind of got this thing about his body language, the questions he asked, and how he was like, okay, this guy has really got something different going on. And then I found out through talking with him that he's the guy that created for the ultra runners. If you're into ultra running and trail running and, and outdoor sports, he's the guy that created all these handheld water bottles, vest packs whatever. I think he'll, I'm going to let him tell you what he's invented, but he's, he's actually the guy that kind of invented the whole sphere of, of hydration and this sort of thing. Is that correct, Bryce? Yes, correct. Right. Right. So, and, and he, I think he's got some pretty crazy stories and this is why we're going to talk about these crazy journeys that you probably didn't plan this, did you? No. Uh -uh. Right. This is, this is how innovation works and how we've got to get back to people using their big brains in it, being curious and starting to innovate. So Bryce, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here. Thank you. Yeah, it's great to have you on here. This is a podcast I've been wanting to do for like five or six years. Oh, that's, that's great. Yeah. And I'm, I met Peter a few years ago as well, too. And we, we, we have like, like minds, <laughs> we like to create. Yeah. It's just in different areas, but it's like, different oh God. areas. Yeah. And, it's and, fun and, to talk. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's crazy. So currently you are the president of Ultraspire. Yeah, actually, uh, Kevin Robison is our president. I have uh, taken on the role pretty much full-time product development and founder of Ultraspire. And so Kevin has taken on day-to-day -day responsibilities and I'm doing the innovation for the company, which is a great. But you were president for, for quite a while. Yes, exactly. I founded it 2013. This is our 10th anniversary for Ultraspire. And, you know, prior to that, I, uh, you know, I kind of have a long history and I can kind of go in a little bit of history if you'd like, and just kind of give you the I, I do, I do want to hear your history. Like, 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 I don't know if you remember the Looney Tunes, Tasmanian devil, Bugs Bunny and, and right. he, gets, he gets, he gets 
he gets the Tasmanian devil to sit on a couch and say, and he pretend Bugs Bunny presents. He's like Sigmund Freud. And he says, tell me about your id when you were a kid. So yeah, yeah. I don't even want to go back there, but let's start with your, what, what triggered you to go into, to get where you are today, that, that this journey that you're on with, with being the, the leader, the actual way out front leader in, in, hydration products. I, I think that it really begins with with my passion in sport and running. You know, I I, I grew up in the Tetons uh, on the Idaho side of the Tetons, and I would look up there and look at the mountains and I, I love to hike and I love to run. And I would go out with my dad and he would we would do what's called double time. And this would have been back in the you know the 70s. And, and he would say, okay, we're going to run 20 steps, walk 20 steps, run 20 steps, walk 20 steps. And we would do backpacking trips, carrying backpacks. And, and I really was intrigued by time. I like to cover certain sections of trail as fast as I could. And, and this kind of evolved over time to where I got into rock climbing a lot. And then, and, and then trail running in general. And, and at the time I was, I was running a lot, climbing a lot, and I had a hard time finding climbing partners. And so I started running the mountains a lot and then just free soloing the mountains. And so this would have been late 1970s. I, I was running in the Tetons and, and, you know, trying to set records for speed ascent, descent. Now they call them FKTs in the Tetons. And one day I was running, I had this old um, Camp Trails backpack and, and I, I ran to the top of the Grand Teton and back again. And it was an orange uh, Camp Trails backpack and it had a little zippered pocket in the front and a drawstring cord. And, and to keep it from bouncing all over my back, I would, I would hold on to the shoulder straps like this with my hands and just run the best I could. And then I would just run, 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 run until I you know, couldn't run anymore and I'd have to take the pack off open up the zippered pocket, pull out a water bottle, drink a little bit of water, put it back in again, then go again. And it was driving me crazy. Because and what, kind of what kind of water bottle was it? Because I mean, uh, you yeah. know, my friend Bruce LaBelle, who's a Western States legend, who was running in the late 70s, early 80s, one of the top yeah. runners. You know, it was like, he, he was a PhD student at Davis in organic chemistry. So he used a lab squirter bottle, but right. other people used Aunt Jemima stuff. So what was your water bottle? Well, you know, actually what I, I was really probably a dumb kid, but I, I was using a, 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 an apple juice bottle. <laughs> so it was glass actually, and not very wow. smart. Yeah. Okay. And, and then, and then it evolved to where I went into a flip top bicycle water bottle and, and that worked as well too. But it was when I was out running that it was just, I was, I was annoyed by how much time it took and how I would totally dehydrate myself because it was, it was such a chore to try to drink. And, and so that's when I came home, I had grown up in a home where I would spend a lot of time doing crafts and things like that. My mom had taught me how to sew. My grandmother had taught me how to sew on a treadle sewing machine. And so it was one Sunday afternoon, I had the running going on one side and I wanted to create something that would allow me. And so I took some old Levi's and cut them up Sunday afternoon, sewed together a little pack that allowed me to carry a water bottle on my waist. And that way I figured that I could get the bottle in and out on the go and yep. be able to not slow down to have to get my fluids. And so jump forward a couple of years, I was off in college. I was a competitive cross-country skier, competitive runner, 
Um, my major, I'd switched it multiple times from mathematics to geology. Where did you all go to school? I, I, I was at the time I was at the University of Colorado in Boulder. Okay. And I won't um, hold that against you. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was, I, I was, you know, just, I was competing and I was skiing. And then I actually transferred to BYU and Provo after that. And, and I switched my major to pre-med. And it was while I was skiing on the ski team that I realized that, hey, uh, you know, I could make something that would help me for skiing and running. And, and I was uh, at the time I was getting a little bit of money from my parents every month. And I was like annoyed by that. It's like, no, I want to be totally independent. And so I says, well, college kids start businesses all the time. Why don't I, why don't I start a business? And I thought, well, that'll help me put me through college. It's kind of a long road to go through and become a, a doctor. So I better figure out how to make some money on the side. And so I went home, I typed up a one page business plan and, and I, and I typed it to wrote, gave it, it said, okay, I'm going to start a business and I want to make ski bags, cosmetic bags, duffel bags, you know, and then I went down the line and right at the bottom of the line was, I want to make running, running backpacks or running packs. And I gave it to my dad and I says, dad, I want to borrow a thousand dollars from you. I don't have any money. I'm a poor college student. Will you loan me a thousand dollars? Was your, what was your dad? What did your dad do as a profession? My dad was a lawyer and he had pra he practiced, he ended up practicing for 60 years. So he was just kind of a country lawyer that did everything. So, okay. So he was a general lawyer, which is kind of yes. rare these days. Yes. Okay. Right. Very general. But he, was pro he probably did pretty well because it yep. sounds like you grew up in a Mormon family. Yes, exactly. Right. So everybody in his ward and everybody else's ward probably used him to take care right. of the legal stuff. Right. It, right. He was, he was just kind of, he would help everybody, everybody that walked in the door, he would help them. So, yep, yeah. Yep. So anyway, I gave this plan to him and I was kind of afraid to give it to him, but he was such a supportive dad. And he looked at, he looked at it and he says, all right. And he wrote out a check for a thousand dollars and he gave it to me. And I drove to Salt Lake city. I grew up in Rexburg, drove to Salt Lake city, bought Rexburg, a Idaho, Idaho. Yes. Yes. Correct. Rexburg, Idaho. Yeah. Yeah. I, I drove to Salt Lake City and bought a sewing machine, a Dane sewing machine in Salt Lake City. I spent $960 on a sewing machine. Ooh. And I, that gave me $40 left over for raw materials. So I bought the sewing machine, moved it into a studio apartment. And at that point, I started making backpacks. <laughs> so I, I made some, I, I set up a booth sold a few things at the ski swap. And then at the time I was working at a running shoe store also to try to support myself through college. And I put some samples of running backpacks up on the wall and a guy came in and he said, he was a sales rep for ASICS Tiger. And he said, wow, those are really cool. Where'd you get those? And I says, well, I made them. And he says, you did? And I says, yeah, in my apartment. And he says, do you need a sales rep? And I says, what's a sales rep? And he says, well, it's somebody that will go around and help get you orders. And I said, sure. And so I took the packs off the wall and gave them to him and he walked away. And that's, that's how I got started. My first company was called Ultimate Direction. Right. Um, yep. Yep. And, it's still around. And it's right. still around. Yeah. Yep. And, and they're, they're one of my bigger competitors now. And, and we have a, we have a friendly relationship with them and they do a great job and, and, you know, I still have a lot of love for that brand as well, too. But anyways. I still have somebody. I remember Mike Morton when he was running competitively and when he made uh -huh. his comeback in the in 2012, 2013. He was like surprised because I had some of the 
original Ultimate Direction handhelds. Right. Oh, cool. I yeah. still use those. Oh, and they still work. <laughs> they still work you know, fine. Yeah. And I'm used yeah, to exactly. I'm used to the old school top where you you bite off, bite it, pull it, and then you slam the other one on top to close it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's crazy. So that's kind of how we got started. I you know it kind of evolved from that. I, I went from my apartment to a little office, had four or five sewing machines, hired a few people to sew for me, then had a factory in Rexburg for many years, then had another factory in South Dakota, and and really, you know, all along the way, our our premise behind the company was trying to make athletes more efficient when they're trying to compete at a high level and and particularly trail runners and ultra runners and my specialty was mountain running and this you know, was what what year frame time frame was this the mid 80s yes 1985 is when ultimate direction started and so at the time okay. there, there was no camelback there was no anybody else you know people were still using you know fanny packs and stuff and 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 they were they were getting by you know i it, right. it's funny you right. know I, that I, was that was when yeah western states was getting some some traction yes. and wasatch had started yes a lot of the yes. a lot of the big old hundreds had gotten going right they just they had gotten going and so people were still trying to figure out how do we carry stuff you know aid stations were a little farther apart back then too so carrying things was pretty important and and oh, oh and yeah so, yeah 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 bruce bruce said he would carry one little quart lab bottle i don't know if you know what uh -huh. that is yeah but, i do yeah with a little squirter thing and he would have a couple pieces of hard candy and maybe a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and like a right. little fanny pack and, right. and he'd go out on the western states trail all day on that right so yeah. he, he said you know like in my sphere he was like fat adapting by default just because he didn't carry anything yeah he couldn't carry anything yeah right yeah. right so that's that's kind of how I got started. Um, Ultimate Direction was a great brand. I sold it in 2002, and then I worked for Nathan for about seven okay, years. So you caught you were consulting for Nathan, or were yeah, I, I did all their design work for about seven years. Yeah. Okay. Okay. See. So really, Nathan and Ultimate Direction are my two biggest competitors now. Yep. Solomon's also there as well too, but I kind of started my own competitors. Okay, yeah, yeah. So you did work for Nathan and then when did you start Ultimate Direction? Ultimate Direction. Ultimate Direction was 1985. Nathan was uh, it was I st I started working for Nathan about 2003 and then Ultraspire started in 2013. Okay, and then I guess through the process were you were you manufacturing offshore in Ultimate Direction when you sold it or did you started yes. that process? Yes. Yeah, so and that that was really what what caused me to I, I was really stubborn. I loved manufacturing. I loved USA manufacturing. All of my competitors at the time had had gone offshore with their manufacturing. And we were having a difficult time because our labor kept going up. We were having a difficult time competing with offshore manufacturers. We'd also, there was a time in ultimate direction years that the sport, our ultra running sport had grown so much that we were having a hard time. We had a, like a hundred employees in Rexburg and a hundred employees in South Dakota, and we couldn't keep up with manufacturing. And we actually put like a two-year moratorium on opening up new dealerships and because of that it kind of spurred on a lot of competition but all of our competition you, you, you had you had trouble scaling because of yeah 
cash flow cost issues. involved. Yeah. Yeah. Cost involved. Exactly. So that that but, really kind of forced you to go offshore in terms of your manufacturing. Yes. And so we still had our factory in Rexburg when Ultimate Direction was purchased. And I'll, um, bet, I'll bet that immediately left. It, it took about it took about two years. Yeah, and, that's about right. Transition. Yeah. Yeah. The transition. And that was, that was probably one of the hardest days in my life. When I had to walk into the factory, people had worked for me for 15, 20 years and they had, they had been stalwart. They had been hard workers and to have to let them know that, you know, we are going to shut down the factory. It was really a sad day. Oh yeah, no, I, I get that. But that's, this is part of what this conversation is actually all about. Um, right. Right. So you work yeah, for exactly. Nathan. Of course, of course, Nathan was doing offshore and then you started ultra aspiring. And, and that's about the time I met you was right. right. At, 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 and you were, you said you, you're going, you were doing your, your stuff in, in Vietnam, I think at the time. We, at, 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 early on, we did it in um, our first transition was into the Philippines okay. and we had really, really good production capacity in the Philippines and really good factories that we worked with. They were phenomenal factories. What we found though, is the, just like everybody, the labor costs, and it's a good thing for the Philippines, but, um, their middle class was growing very quickly and so because of that labor costs were going up and so we transitioned to vietnam and we've been okay. in vietnam now for quite a few years and and you're real happy in the viet i've seen this quality of sewn goods because a number of manufacturers of, of outdoor gear are doing their their manufacturing in in vietnam and the the quality is really good Yes. And in fact, there's a lot of clothing there now. A lot of bigger brands are being produced there. A lot of shoe brands are produced there as well now. And so they've, um, their quality has really, really yeah, been good. But in terms of like technical sewing, not just, you know, clothing is, I'm not trying to knock clothing, but yeah. te technical sewing, they, they're, I, 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 I've been quite impressed because years ago I did some manufacturing in China. Mm -hmm. of inflatable white water boats and it was a it was a interesting learning curve but i had to dive in there because as you probably know but with dealing with the asians and i'm half asian so i can i can talk yeah. i can talk <laughs> to smack but you know if you didn't keep a tight rein on them boy things would start to slip real quickly and exactly yeah and i know you you spend time going there to work on the factory floor to make sure things are done exactly as you design and spec them are probably and I, I don't know how much you're doing that now but i remember when we met that was one of the things was you yeah. back and forth so tell yeah, us it's really that. interesting because it's kind of come full circle my whole innovation process you know in the early days i did everything you know i sat down i created in my head i made paper patterns i cut them out I sewed them together, you know, then I had a couple of people help me sew. Then when we transitioned to overseas, I became much more adept at um, drawing and creating the concepts. I would send the drawings over to the factories. The factories would build a prototype for me, and then they would send the prototype back to me for testing. And one thing that our companies have always done is we've always used, you know, real athletes for testing and we do a ton of testing and a ton of prototyping to make sure that the stuff really works but well, so like then, jeff browning jeff we'll talk about jeff because he's, he's exactly what he's what i call an early adopter right absolutely early adopter for sure so, so shout anyway, out to jeff yeah but anyway so then ahead. then COVID hit 
And, you know, I'd been going to the factory. In fact, to set up a new factory, I would go four or five. In fact, one year I went nine times to Vietnam to try to train them on the process procedures to get the designs finished, to, to teach them everything that they needed to learn to produce the products. And so it was totally, a lot of totally, totally get that because when we had problems with our production, I had to literally send a 40 foot container of inflatable river whitewater boats back uh -huh. to China fly back there open up those boats inflate them and then slice them open to show them why they were defective and it was right it was ugly and then i had to do like what you were doing i had to spec everything myself mm -hmm. stitch count stitch pattern right type of material and not give them any leeway and it's like and i went and worked on the factory floor and they, they right. thought it was kind of funny because the, the 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 hotel where i would stay was like 20 miles away and I'd run there on occasion. Oh, interesting. And wow, that was really, amazing. that was really something. Cause this guy with no shirt on was running through China. Oh, that's crazy. And, Very and, but, cool. it, but it was good. It was good because it made a good impression on him. Like, like, right. This guy's not just some guy to come yell at us. Right. Uh, oh, that's amazing. That's very cool. But, but yeah, I so get back, what you're saying. Back to COVID. So when I couldn't travel anymore and, and I totally changed my style of work and I've always had sewing machines. I've always done prototyping, but mostly uh, modifications of samples. And I totally switched my style knowing that innovation had to continue on. And the way that we were going to remain competitive in the marketplace was if we could keep through COVID, keep pushing full steam ahead innovation. And the only way we could do that because the style of work was to show up at the sample room and show up at the factory and work with the factory workers to get stuff developed that could no longer happen so this is about the time that we that i brought in kevin kevin's doing a phenomenal job and i switched to where now i have 12 sewing machines in my office i have one of every style that we have in the factory and i do all my pattern work and then i so actually cut out sew the samples together you make the prototype i i make physically make the prototype and, and yeah and so jeff browning you talked about him he has a couple of signature styles that we've we he came out with the first one that we came out with was called the bronco race press and i'll use this to illustrate the point he came to me and says i want a vest that does a b c d and i have this certain race and i'm, I'm like okay and he says, I have the Zion, the Zion 100 coming up in about a month. Do you think you can build me a sample? I says, absolutely. So like two weeks later, I build him a sample, sent it to him. He gave me comments. And another couple of days later, I made him another sample, sent it to him. He came, ran Zion 100, won the race in a prototype that was, was sewn together in St. George, Utah. And, and so what that's done is it's, it's made my work style, which I love it because I'm so hands-on it made my work style that my connection to the athletes is much closer because we're actually building samples directly with them. Um, I'm taking those samples, letting them test them. I make all the patterns. I build a perfect sample with labels, everything that's photographable. I make sure that it works right for the athlete. And then I take that sample and I send it to the factory and then I email them the patterns. And then I says, okay, now make salesman samples. And so because of that, my time spent in the factories has diminished to zero. My plan now is just for relationship standpoint to go one time per year, just to make sure, you know, that they're following procedures and stuff like that. But, but it's really been a blessing 
because you know you look at something like COVID and 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 for me we had to evolve and I had to change and I had to change my style. But in the long run, it's been a really good blessing. It's been good for my health. It's been good for the athletes. It's been good for the company. Well, and this is part of what innovation does is is innovation is about problem solving. It's about curiosity yes. and problem solving. And that's the thing. True innovators are actually better posed to deal with things like COVID hitting. Right. I'm not trying to say that just because, because we, we, we know how to adapt. We go in and try to problem solve. We don't talk about it mm -hmm. or it's like, okay, what do we got here? Well, how do we deal with this? And to a point when COVID hit, we, we finally, I brought in a guy I found online after years of just going through people who gave me a lot of lip service and i don't i don't think they didn't mean well it's just that i don't i'm good at what i do in terms of right. figuring out the metabolic stuff i i suck at everything else i mean i don't <laughs> we all have our specialties <laughs> right we all have our magic but like people who are innovators you know innovations about that curiosity and then you go down those rabbit holes and, and you, you get you're blind to all the other things that have to happen in a company right right but but innovation is what makes your company your company what makes my company my company right because we're, we're out there in front but a lot of times people don't understand what we're doing and then a lot of times our personalities aren't as it's not that they're bad personalities they just don't jive with the business way of doing things right <laughs> you're right uh, yeah and, and so what happened with us with COVID hitting was we finally had got started getting some traction with my the guy I brought in to help me with marketing, John Dionisiu, who mm -hmm. lives in Cyprus, you know, he's right. Run, run, and he happened to be in Cyprus when COVID hit. But we January, February, we had like the best months, some of the best months ever. And those are usually mm -hmm. that low sales months for us, right? Of 2020. And then all of a sudden it hit and then bam, everything went. And, and just like you, I'm like, we, we're going to use this to retool and, and, and move forward. And, right. and that's, that's, you know, I've gone into debt and done all that done, but it's like, damn the torpedoes full steam ahead. And right. it's actually put us in a better position, just like what you probably did is put you in a better position because, you know, the business people, it's like, they're looking at the books and it's like, let's slash cost. Mm -hmm. Right. right? Exactly. Like, you know, and you're looking at it as, okay, we got to adapt and we got to, poise ourselves for this and this is kind of part of that whole thing about how innovation is is key to real problem solving right and then you have a vision and, and you're being an innovator you feel so strongly about the vision you're able to push it forward through well, you those can't challenges. do anything else there's a guy yeah. named bruce carlton who talks about right. this that that creative genius they can't help themselves it's not about the money i mean we need mm -hmm. to make money to survive but it's like it's not about this like that's all you can do it's like right i mean i know you probably feel that way about what you're doing it's like you eat sleep and breathe okay wh what's the next iteration of what i'm going to do here and right. how can i do this better yeah and it's it's kind of interesting because it's like it's it's like everything was lined out for me but when i was in college i had no idea that this was going to be my path you know it's like okay i've spent <laughs> You know, I spent X amount of years, you know, building packs for athletes, you know, and it's just like, that's all I've done. And that's all I but know. If somebody had told you five years before you went to med school that you'd be doing this. You would have told them they were crazy. Exactly. Exactly. Right? Yeah, and, exactly. And 
same thing for me. What set me on the path was bonking at my first marathon. I mean, I there you go. I turned 40 and I was thinking, okay, I'm at the halfway point. How do I spend it? So I started running and getting in shape. And my first marathon, I bonked. And I'm like, this this carb loading stuff doesn't, this is baloney. And and right. I had the biology degree, you know, just oh, like your cool. your mom and grandmother taught you. So I had the biology degree right. from Davis. I got I got hammered by all the pre-med and pre-vet students, but I still right had the understanding and it's like okay well let's this didn't work so what does work right and i started you know thinking and evolving and doing it with myself and then in 2003 and four and five i started doing it with a couple friends simon Michui and my friend ling ru and got them on board and then their friends got on board and then i got into western states and ran oh, western cool. states and 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 that's when i came across vespa a month out and they somebody throw me some pouches of vespa and said Hey, try this. My friend Mojo swears by it. And I looked on the yeah. back of the pouch and it said, Oh, this is about fat burning. Well, because I'd already been open to that, right. it didn't right. seem heretical because at that time, fat burning was considered a joke. Right. Right. Just like right. what you were doing. Nobody, I'm sure most people, unless they were runners and they needed something like that, most people had no, they were like, What, what are you doing, Bryce? Right, right. Well, and just just a side example, you look at the running shoes. When I was first running the Grand Teton, the shoes I ran in an old Brooks Vantage. At the time, people were still using mountaineering boots. And for me to be in shorty shorts and a cotton t-shirt and a pair of Brooks running shoes running to the top of the Grand Teton, people thought I was insane. You know, and that was that was before you know and now everybody wears running shoes everywhere you know and it's I, just, I know it's, i know it's, it's yeah. just crazy because because you see that yeah because i that's all i wear is a singlet and a pair of shorts and some some ultra long lone peaks or temps and i'm i'm good yeah to you're good it. to go yeah. yeah you know and if i need a shell i'll bring it an extra layer i'll tie it around my waist and 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 away you go so but that's that's kind of where innovation is so you so you've so so here you are now i think one of the other things that's key to point out here is you know real innovation isn't about the status you got it it's like you like to get your hands dirty you like to read and noodle and look at things and and do technology transfers like you know like the whole magnet thing is a really right cool right technology right. i mean it's just this is part of that whole thing and like what you're saying about this obsession like i think the the place that an innovator has to be is part of it has to be spent on that front line and in interfacing and applying that knowledge in the real world and then problem right. solving because because people love to talk about stuff nowadays and you see this online all the time but you know and this is a problem you know that i i see this particularly living here in the left coast uh -huh. um, like one, uh, an example I, I, I put out and I, I don't want to get too political here, but like, you know, we're, we've got laws now that they're going to phase out internal combustion automobiles in 10 right. years. Right. right. And yet, and I'm not against EVs per se, but it's like, we don't have the generation capacity to meet the electrical generation needs now. Right. The baseload stuff. And they they don't have th th those basic solutions haven't been addressed, and it's like mm -hmm. there's a lot of people who mean well and want to help the environment, but they're not getting their hands dirty. I guess that's my point. You got to right. get your hands dirty, and you got to you got to break things 
to get to to do that innovation that's going to solve that that larger problem you know because california right. we're in an energy crisis right now in the summer we you know we can't charge cars we can't we can't run our air conditioning at peak load right. diablo canyon nuclear power plant is supposed to shut down in 2025 they're trying to extend it the largest coal coal-fired plant in the country is out in delta utah and it's owned by mm -hmm. la power so wow Wow. 20 percent of la 20 to 30 percent of la's power depending on the time of day comes from delta utah, utah. wow interesting <laughs> on coal yeah. and people yeah. don't know this stuff and this is right. why like, right so you have to i get the point again i'm trying to make is what you're doing is like you're doing you're 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 hands-on with this as well as having the vision everybody can have vision right right it's just like this thing I have with the the, the shoot 'em up games on online, right? Right. Call of Duty, four, four play. I guess I'm not gonna. Right. The, all these shoot 'em up games. It's like, it seems really cool online and all that, but I mean, when you go in, if you actually have to go into battle and get right. shot at, even if it's, it's a, a paintball thing, it it doesn't. It's 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 a very different, very different environment. Right. And I, I think that that whole idea of getting dirty, I think that it's almost a generational thing. And just to illustrate another point, over the years, I've I've had a few designers that have worked for me and helped me out with stuff like that. And, and they're, they're, some of them have been really good. But the thing that I struggle with is they don't have the patience and they don't have the desire to get down to the nitty gritty. And they'll do a beautiful drawing of something and say, let's make a pack like this. And I'll say, okay. That's really cool. And then I'll say, how are you going to make it? And they have no clue. They have no clue how they're going to make the patterns, how they're going to cut it out, where the seam lines are going to be, what materials they're going to use, how they're going to construct it. They don't understand. And here's the problem. Yes. Because we've had this generational shift. Once you move beyond, beyond that pretty design that you can put up on the web and show everybody how beautiful it is and how functional it is, you move to those details. That's where we lose people. Yeah. I lose people all the time because I start going into the, okay, right. this is why your physiology and metabolism is doing this. Right. And, okay. We have to address this, this, and this, because it's all this, these different elements yep. coming together. Right. Same as when you're designing stuff and nobody wants to discuss that stuff. Well, and, and, and they don't want to discuss it, but then at a bigger corporate level, you know, one of the reasons I, I left Nathan and I, I had a great tenure at Nathan and started my own thing again is because they get to the point where they start cutting to the point because they want to get rid of all those little details. They want they don't to understand the, the importance of it. They don't understand the importance of it. And yes. so that's that's where you get frustrated. And then it's like, OK, you, you know, I want to make sure that the people that I work with know that we're paying attention to all those little details and and so well and this is this is to a point this is what made like i'm a pilot my dad was an airline pilot and a marine fighter pilot. i'm a pilot so, too <laughs> okay what do you yeah cool all right so like I, i'll pick on boeing and, and because yeah. boeing boeing has jumped the shark right and my dad was talking about this back when he was alive when they when they designed the triple seven and that was the first right. airplane that boeing designed that they started to cut corners on but right. it was that it was that dedication to build engineering the best airplane ever mm -hmm. that got boeing where they 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 are mm -hmm. 
And then, then all of a sudden it became very corporate and very shareholder return. Right. Right. And, and you can see this trajectory where Douglas aircraft built competed with Boeing. So they made the, both companies made the best airplanes in the world in terms of serviceability, mm -hmm. durability, role of purpose. You know, they, they, they just were airplanes that airlines could rely on that didn't cost too much to operate, were functional, sturdy, right. blah, blah, blah. But when McDonnell Corp and Douglas Aircraft merged, that's when the cost, because McDonnell Corp was a defense contractor and they mm -hmm. were just really good at doing the corporate welfare trough thing right right so it became a lot more business business driven than engineering driven and that's when mm -hmm. the dc9 the the dc10 came out and those mm -hmm. things they had problems because they tried to cut corners right and it bit them right? right right and then when boeing took but boeing was already on the path but when they merged with mcdonald bought mcdonald douglas that's when it really went super corporate right and, and you can see that right now in their product line and nobody's really, you know, the 737 Max, they did away with the 747. And I think that that was, you know, that airplane was, you know, has a safety record. And, right. and, and what happened to me is like, okay, both, both Boeing and the airlines killed it because it was cost cutting versus right. safety. Right. I mean, when you're going over to when you're going over the Pacific, I don't I'm sorry, I don't want to be flying on two engines. Right. Especially those big diameter ones, because, you know, yeah. you're a design guy. The physics of that stuff is like when one of those air engines comes apart, it's not pretty because they're so big. Right. And and so I'm like, I want to be in a 747. Mm -hmm. But but not to get off the point, but then, you know, all their products now, they're having a lot of trouble with them. The 787 has been fraught with problems. The, the triple seven has been problems. The seven, three, seven max has been a disaster. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and it's all because the innovation is gone. Right. It, you know, and I was looking at something the other day and this is like Boeing's not looking to internally design. They were trying to partner with Embraer because Embraer had a bunch of engineers that were doing some pretty interesting thing in the regional right. jet design thing. It's like, right. you know, and, and I'm, I'm sure that was, part of what you faced at Nathan. Right. I, I think I, exactly. And I think what happens is people just, when they start cutting budgets, they cut budgets out of the R&D side of things. That's, and, that's and, right. And, and and then, yeah. They would rather just either buy the technology from somebody else or borrow it or steal it from somebody else, whatever. Yep. And then they'll put a different logo on it and change the shape a little bit. And 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 that's the and way they'll start it. cutting out those details that matter, but they don't mm -hmm. think it's matter. And just to a point, like you said, you're 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 having to struggle to convince Nathan's people to do yeah. things a certain way. Well, right. look at the seven three seven Max. They didn't have those airs. The redundancy in the they they cut out a few little things that and made right. them options that that created those the environment for those crashes that in the seven three seven Max. I mean, just little things right. like this that that details matter but it doesn't matter to the i don't want to pick on bean counters but does the businessmen don't think it matters and you right. see this you see this a lot in a lot of different food products where they start substituting in cheaper oils right you know cheaper ingredients and not thinking fillers fillers right right yeah i mean like they substituted you know, they thought they were doing a good thing when they substituted vegetable oils in the fryers. And 
you know, like I, I uh, remember talking to a client who was in the fast food industry as a vendor to the fast mm-hmm. food industry. Right. And we were talking about this. And I was telling them all of this about the fast food fryers. Now they've substituted vegetable oil for lard and tallow. And he said, oh, wait a second. My food scientists were telling me this was going to be a problem. Right. This was way back in the 70s. Wow. You know, when yeah. they started doing it. And so, you know, in innovators, to a point, they just, you know, no, we got to do it this way. Mm-hmm. And that's a struggle because you really have to have both. You've got to have you've got to have the, the business side of things and you have to have the, you know, the innovation side Absolutely. of things. Absolutely. You have to mm-hmm. find that balance, but yeah. but it's like we've kind of come off balance where it's all about maximizing shareholder return. And this right. is something like I was talking to somebody about this. I mean, just a brief history of this, but it started when President Nixon, how old are you, Bryce? I am 60. Okay, you're a little younger than me, <laughs> but, but only by a few years. But okay. Okay. So this started when Nixon took took the 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 US dollar off the gold standard. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't really the, the start, but that was what set things in motion with Wall Street. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. by taking it off the gold standard, then you had the Fed doing having to do stuff with money supply. Right. Because it wasn't tied to gold standard. But what happened once Nixon took it off the gold standard was then Wall Street started to had ability to play games. And of course, they started to lobby. And then you had the, the rise in the 80s of Carl Icahn and T. Boone Pickens, who championed the whole idea of maximizing shareholder return. Mm-hmm. These corporate raiders fundamentally transformed how Wall Street works instead of serving companies at that level whether Mm -hmm. it's you know small business like they were they were looking at how they could extract as much money out of it rather than develop as much value right and so that that you know like a lot of big companies like i when i was working in central america developing spray and gps guidance technology for the banana companies that was just Mm -hmm. in the wake of when those companies, Dole, Castle and Cook, mm-hmm. Chiquita Brands, they were taken over by private equity and Wall Street type people. And, and they cut out, they had these huge R&D budgets, right? Mm-hmm. To study bananas, mm-hmm. disease prevention. Mm-hmm. They had hospitals for their working staff. They had all kinds of stuff invested mm-hmm. in running a stable company. Mm-hmm. And that all got gutted. Right. So it's not just Boeing. It, it, you see this across... Yeah, sectors. I mean, you, you're seeing like like a lot of people don't realize like the pharmaceutical industry, and we won't even talk about the current situation. But a lot of what the pharmaceutical companies done in the last 20 years is they just reformulate, they just tweak a right. chemical formula, repatent it, and that's how they're they're doing things. Right. Um, well, and it really go coming back into my industry, which I would consider it you know, a low tech industry compared to other things, but that's the same thing that happens. You know, we, we struggle with people that will just take one of our packs, reverse engineering, pattern piece by pattern piece. They'll copy it. They'll take our logo off, put their logo on it and they'll put it on Amazon and they'll ship directly from China to us customers, a copy. 
you know, and that's, that's hard, you know, when, especially yeah, when it's it, all subsidized. Well, and it's what I call a feeding frenzy to the bottom. Right. Right. Yes, and, that's a and, really good way to put it. Yes. Because, because you're competing against somebody that's doesn't have, doesn't have the cost internalized. So it's just driving the whole thing down and putting even more pressure to not, not do the investment in innovation. Right. Because like you say, it's easier to copy or buy or acquire than to innovate because look at, look at your journey. I mean, how, right. you know, we didn't, haven't even talked about the mistakes and missteps and the extra. Oh, time. I know. And, and, and all the time you probably spent thinking about this and noodling right. with it and playing with it. I mean, can you share some commentary about that? Because I mean, for, Absolutely. for, first, for the first handhelds and stuff like that, I mean, Tell me well, about it, that. Well, any of the products that we develop, some of them, some of them just click really quickly, you know, it's like, ah, you know, it's an aha moment. Um, but generally, I, I think on average, it takes about 10 times the amount of time to think about something and to noodle on it than to actually sit down and do it. And, so, and, so to and, get to that aha moment, even when you have an aha moment, there's yeah. a lot of random stuff coming together coalescing. right well and, and what i tell my athletes you know when i meet with when i work with them because i have a one-on-one -on -one relationship with many of them and i just say you don't have to come up with a solution i just want to know the problem uh, what are you struggling with what do we need to solve what problem do we need to solve what event are you doing what do you need to carry what is your struggle with it and 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 then i i put that in my brain and my brain goes 24 7 every waking hour my brain is running and operating and i remember all the comments from all the athletes and sometimes it takes me a year of just letting it just kind of spin around in my brain okay so and so jeff browning's having a problem with this i need to do this or magda's but then having a some problem random thing comes in and all of a sudden exactly bingo. all of a sudden the light bulb goes off yeah yeah and then, and then yeah. bam two days later it's done you know but but it, it has to be that i call it the incubation period and the incubation yeah. period is unpredictable you have no idea how long it's going to well, take well and this is the thing it, it, here's here's a concept i want to put out to you i thought about a lot okay we as humans, because of our human conscious brain, we want to control things. Right. And especially business people want to control things. Right. And they use metrics. But nature doesn't work that way. Right. Think of natural systems, biological systems. I see this all the time with people in nutrition and training. They're trying to engineer biology. Right. And like that thought process is part of our natural thing. And it's natural systems thrive on chaos. But right. out of that chaos and entropy comes an order. Right. Right. And it's, right. it's like exactly like it's like I say, and people don't that's that's a big thing that scares people because it's 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 like instead of getting curious, like, oh, this is interesting. I don't know anything about it, and being willing to admit, hey, I don't know, but I'm willing right. to learn and, and get right. curious about this. Right. And pursue it. Yeah. And pursue and pursue it doggedly because like like a perfect example of that chaos is like how each of us came into this earth. I mean, when you think about the tens of thousands of eggs that your mother had and the billions of sperm your dad had and how that right. union of that particular egg, that particular sperm, right? just that simple act of conception, it's like, right. there's no way we're going to figure that out. There's no algorithm for that. No, there's no way. Yeah. There's no way, yeah. right? And, yeah. and 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 that 
you know, innovation is sort of like that. And it's like, you see me all lit up. You see, I see you all lit up about this. <laughs> it's, it's just, but that's what drives us is like right. having curiosity over fear and control. And then just knowing it's like, it's going to happen. Right. Just, exactly. As you accumulate more knowledge and not get fixed in that knowledge and stay open to new things coming in, it just, it's just this continually evolving thing. Right. And, and it, it, one of the things, one of my biggest pet peeves in business has always been when somebody comes to me and tells me it can't be done. And I was like, mm, it can't be done. <laughs> you know, we just have to figure out how to do it. You know? <laughs> so. Yeah. 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 You can't do it. <laughs> yeah. But that's a challenge for me. It's like, exactly. <laughs> why, first question is why can't it be done? Right. Right. It's like same thing with me. You know, when I, when I started this thing, it's like, like I said, I bonked at my first marathon because I carb loaded. Right. right. I'm like, this doesn't work. So I I, right. I I ate protein, fat, and a little bit of carbs and ran three more marathons, had no trouble. I'm like, right. it's it's fat. And and right. people just they told me this you can't do it. And then now, you know, I have data with Peter and Jeff that nobody has. And it's like oh, we're, exactly. It's like, and that's data like in two thousand and up until two thousand fifteen the ceiling for fat oxidation was considered one gram a minute. And most right. people burn below a half. Well, right. yeah, I get, I get it. Okay. You need carbs if you're only going to burn less than half a gram a minute of fat. But, but right. when you see, I've got data on Jeff and Peter where they're sustaining for like 10, 15 minutes over two grams a minute. Wow. Okay. That's cool. You start doing the math on that. And but, but like you said, yeah, people told, told me it couldn't be done. Right. Well, and that, that, that whole, I mean, that whole conversation with, with the fat adaptive stuff is so fascinating to me, you know, just oh, because... you, you, you're going to, you're going to love it because yeah, it's just like what you're doing. There's so many facets to it. It's not just shotgunning right. a bunch of carbs. Right. Right. It's, it's like fat metabolism is got all these different avenues and it's very complex, very dynamic and, and, and all these cool things, but like, you know, it's the same thing with what you're doing. I mean, you've got, there's all these things you're pulling together to design packs, handhelds, waste lights. I mean, what's your line consist of these days? Yeah, it's, 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 it's waste packs, uh, running vests and lights Hy and then accessories. Packs. Yeah. Hydration packs that go along with it. And, and lights is another prime example of, you know, once I got over the age of 40 and, and I love trail running and, and I, I still wanted to get out and run, but with, with having kids and hard work schedule, a lot of times I was running at night. And what I found is that running with a regular headlamp, I realized that I couldn't move as fast and couldn't see as well with the regular headlamp because it created tunnel vision, but it also made everything look flat. And so that's when the light bulb went off. It's like, I also have done photography in my life. And I realized that in order to shoot a beautiful photograph, you want depth of field. And the way you get depth of field is you never put your flash on top of the camera. You put your flash somewhere else so that it creates depth out of the person's face so that you can see the details. And I thought, well, that makes sense for lights too. So wow. if you put the waist light on your, if you put a light on your waist, it's going to cast shadows across all the details, all the rocks, the twigs. Right, because depth. And then suddenly waist lights yeah. are created and waist lights are created. And, and now I can run full bore ahead, just like I'm running in daylight with a waist light. 
Right. And I get what you're saying about the depth perception because yeah. that's, have you ever flown low over water? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That is, that is really interesting. Right. Exactly. Right? Yeah. You, you, you lose all that depth perception. You better be paying real close attention because you take your attention off for a second. Right. right. If you're low, you could be in the drink. You could be in a heap of trouble for sure. So oh, anyway, yeah, that's yeah. really how innovation. I th I think another thing that I've been thinking about too is, and and I can't understand why it's almost a generational thing. And and there's obviously exceptions to this, but I I don't feel a lot of the younger generation has the patience. You know, they want things too quick. They're not willing to put the effort. It's the in convenience of, of modern life. Yeah, convenience of modern life. You know, and 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 I think that. That the innovation process, I think it, it, it is a process that requires so much incubation time, so much think time, so much dwelling upon it, so many sleepless nights, so many things that you have to do to get from point A to point B, that a lot of the younger generation, not all of them, but a lot of the younger generation is not willing to go through that cycle. So that's where they get into the ripoff and duplicate because they want to cut corners. Right. And, and, and the more you do that, I mean, and that's, that's just human nature, right? You want to right. take the most the easy way. Fast. Right. And, and, and the thing is, is, is a lot of my work is based on evolutionary biology. Right. And, and I like, I always like to step back because that's my, like that science, you know, real science, not everybody says the science, but when you think about science in, in the way you, you, I think you should think about it, when you think about it and, and see it, everything makes sense in terms of human behavior, physiology, metabolism, when you look at it through the lens of the environment and pressures that shaped us as humans for, say, you know, millennium before agriculture. Right. Okay. And so, you know, in, in those times when we were hunter-gatherers, that opportunity for convenience and to do things more efficiently made sense because right. life was hard right. right there was a lot of work involved like i like i tell people the reason we have hunger triggers and the reason we like carbs and sweets is because it's that's the way in the environment we were in mm -hmm. you know just a simple hunger trigger was what got us off our butts to go hunt and gather because without right. that drive we wouldn't get out of it because you look at today you got people getting DoorDash and food delivered to their homes. Right. They don't get out of their car at the drive-in. I mean, that's right. how lazy we are. Right. Become very lazy. Yeah. And, and that's convenient. That's convenience. And, and right. But because we, it's, it's like I say, it's the environment, stupid. Right. Right. We've changed that environment, but our hardwiring has not adapted to that new environment. Right. So, and I yeah. think that that's your whole point with innovation, that kind of innovation has followed suit with that. In, yeah, the death of uh, innovation because it it is hard. It is problem solving, and nobody wants to deal with problems anymore. Right. And it's like, like you say, to me, it's like, okay, this is an opportunity to learn. And I've 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 made a lot of mistakes. I'll be the first one to <laughs> raise my hand and say that in life. And yeah, but I, and hopefully I, we know, learn from them, right? <laughs> right, right. And there's a few I didn't learn. I had to repeat them. And, yeah, been know, there, done that. It's like, oh, okay. And, you know, eventually you kind of get that down and you, and you go on and find other challenges. And, and we, you know, one of the things I love about the ultra running con community is it's like, you can go, you know, you got the support to go out and do that. It's okay. Right. Not like a lot of 
other sports where failure is kind of looked upon as as something like okay you did your best you, but you didn't win or you didn't come in your age group or you didn't meet the cutoff like an iron man i mean it's very driven like iron man sports or like even team sports it's like you know with ultra running at least the community is there that's really right um, good and it's like like you know like at western states i i go out with tim tweetmeyer every year to bring in the help the guys or guys and gals who are on the bubble uh-huh get in before the 30 hour mark right and that's so rewarding because that's you know that golden hour is like right right and so that's where when it really gets really cool to see that right yeah yeah, so, yeah, a lot of a lot of changes happened to those people during that time. You know, it's just to get them through that last stage is a pretty cool thing to go through with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've been able to help people finish every year. Some of them make yeah. the cutoff, some of them don't, but they all finish. Right, that's cool. Right, and uh, like the gal I did, she missed it by a couple of minutes, but she brought the house down. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah that's cool. So, you know, it's, it's great to see. And like the year before I paced another gal and she was dead last, had the last, she was the dead last person that could have made it. Right. So I, I got her cooled off, got her some water and salt, got her a Vespa Ultra Concentrate. She took off running past three, three people. And wow. So, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's cool. But That's back to really the innovation cool. thing, I think, yes. you know, when you look at innovators and I think you can relate to them, when you look at people like Thomas Edison, Nikolai Tesla, Walt Disney, Right. Hewlett and Packard, they're, they're all just, you know, they were in their garage or their shop, the Wright brothers, just tinkering right. around and noodling. Right. Um, when you think about like Einstein, Einstein credits a lot of his work, you know, that aha moment where it all came together. Right. Right. Most, he said a lot of that really happened in his early years when he was a patent clerk filing oh, plat- patents in office and he'd see all these ideas, right? That were being right. filed for patents. Right. Just sit outside the look outside the window and you know just start daydreaming. Do you be daydreaming? That's exactly what he was doing. Yeah. There was no there was night no organized set goal to it. And mm-hmm. but years later it all coalesced. Right, right. Yeah. So and that was his incubation period then. Right, right, right. So you know, you've got the patience, you got the convenience. You got the fact that people don't like to struggle, mm-hmm. right? They don't want, and they want certainty, but then in today's do all be all world, I think part of it also is that it's not okay. It's, it's really kind of looked down upon to just daydream and just kind of be off in the clouds right. and have that. Cause you know, that incubation period for you is people don't know what you're think, doing and thinking. They can't understand it. No, and from the outside world, people would think you look lazy, but they don't realize that your brain is going 24-7. It's it's always working on something. Yeah, and even when you're asleep, you might be in a deep sleep, but your brain's sorting Still working. Yeah, exactly. One of the things I remember in meeting you at the running event years ago Mm -hmm. was, it seems like your wife gets you. Uh Uh-huh. I think that that's a wonderful thing. You need that. You need that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and she does. And, 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 and sometimes I'll say to her, I'll say to her, 
Sorry, my brain's a little occupied right now. And, and I'm just, it looks like I'm staring it at the wall, but I'm really working on something, you know? And she just says, I know, you know, you just keep doing yeah. what you're doing, you know? And it's just like, okay, thank you. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you you look at, you know, like like Thomas Edison, I think one of the things he said about the light bulb was when people ask him, he says, yeah, I just ran out of ways to fail. Yeah, right. You know? Right, yeah. So, so what do you... um where do you plan to take the company now that you're working? Because it sounds like you really got the company where you want it, which is right kind of where I want to go. I'm not there yet. I'm having to wear too many hats. Right. But, you know, it's it sounds like where where are you where are you guys uh, looking to take the company now and that you can tell me about that's not like top yeah secret. yeah yeah and not just big picture stuff with the company you know our plans is we've got a great executive team in our accounting with kevin with uh, joe in our marketing department we've got a great executive team and and they're all in place and my plans are i honestly i don't want to retire i, uh, I love what i amen I, I like like i say i don't i love it i love what i do Right, right. But I don't want to be yeah. chasing it like I am now. Yeah, yeah. Right. And you went through those chasing it years when you were building your company and going to Vietnam probably six times a year, six or right. seven times. That's chasing it. Right. Yeah. I just, I want to get, to, I want to continue to grow the company, want to um, get to the point where I, I just work on innovation, work on creation, spend time outside, spend time with the family. I, I love the people I work with, spend time with them as well too, and continue to grow. We've had people offer to buy us over the years and, and we've resisted all of those. And for me, I, I would love the company to be an employee-owned company and just let them take it over and let me keep innovating until, until I can't innovate anymore. And then, and then hopefully my, my real dream, and I've been searching for it, but I've been struggling to find it, is trying to find somebody that could come in as like an apprentice to me and kind of learn the ropes and understand the ropes and kind of have that, that patience and that passion and that drive to, to innovate. And I, I, I don't know if it's possible, you know, I don't know if it's possible to find somebody like that, but that would be my dream would be to find somebody that could come in and kind of work with me and learn and grow and kind of learn the ropes and understand construction and techniques and so forth. So they can take on that vision for the yeah. future. Yeah. And it's funny you mentioned that because this last year I created another company to bifurcate the products from the services and the content. And mm -hmm. I set that company up as a C corp, but under a special provision in California called the social, social purpose corp. Uh huh. And it's, it was set up specifically so that shareholder return, maximizing shareholder return was not the sole driver of the company. And right. that's what you're saying is like, I want, I'm on the path to making that a, a that's going to be an ESOP. Right. A full ESOP. I, if you want to do that with your company, there's a guy named Mike Moyer. Uh-huh. And it's called Slicing Pie. If you just do a Google uh -huh. look up Mike Moyer Slicing Pie, he's got a whole formula on how to do that. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. yeah and ultimately, you know, where I get my joy, you know, is is I get my joy outside with my wife doing things. I love rock climbing, love running. And that's where a lot of my innovation comes is when I'm, I'm free. To I do just... my best thinking in, on the trail. Exactly. And yeah. then I want, I have, I have eight grandkids now. I want to spend time with the grandkids and, oh, 
Yeah, and it's it, it's amazing, and and they're fun to be around. And then I want to just continue to work well, with. And the you're athletes. in shape. You're in shape. You where you can be doing stuff yeah. with them. Absolutely. Right? I'm, I'm training. I can't tell you what it is right now, but I'm training for an FKT right now. <laughs> so okay. I, I'm more fit than I've been in probably 10 years. And I'm really happy did about we, it. Did we, did we send you some Vespa? We, I think we did. You did. Okay. Yeah. And I need, I need to get some more from you for sure. Cause, okay. cause I totally committed to the uh, fat adaptive stuff. So I need to get some more from you. We need, to, we need to do a call and get you sorted out on the stuff you need so you can do yeah. this. I, I mean, Jeff's on it. And you look at, look at Jeff at 51, top of the sport. I know, I know exactly, exactly. And I, and the reality is that's what I love doing. You know, I yeah. love getting on calls with these people. In fact, it was yesterday or the day before Jeff called me, he says, I'm getting ready for this race and I need this and this and this. And he says, do you think you can get it ready for me for me? And I says, no problem. You know, we'll get it taken care of. And that's, that's what I love, you know? And, and so ultimately, yeah. uh, you know, if you look at what my calling was in life, it's, it's just like, obviously I'm a father, and a husband and a grandpa and I love all of that but I'm also I'm helping a lot of people and yeah but it's it's the innovation thing I don't know what it is but and that's where I that's where I get my joy it's just innovating to the point to help people <laughs> right right and it's like it's like it's this yin yang thing where it's it's a very selfish thing right right but at right. the same time by being selfish and innovating you're creating things that really move humanity forward Right. Right. They help other people. That help other people. Yeah. Even though it was like nobody had a clue what you were doing when you started it. Right. You had a clue. You had the right. spark, just like I did. Like, we got it wrong about this carb thing. Right. And it's like, and nobody believes you. You know, fortunately, you had a supportive family that says, okay, I, I, your dad probably thinking, I haven't got a clue what he's doing, but. <laughs> He had faith in me, though, and that was amazing. That's right. You know? and well, and that's, <laughs> that's, you know, that was something I had a conversation with yes, last night over dinner about faith, mm -hmm. okay? And that's, you know, go back to that whole thing about human stuff. Yeah. Humans want to control. We want to believe. Believe right. is a static set. But faith right. is like an acceptance that you don't know. You don't have control, but yeah. we're going to go with this. We're going to go with okay. it. And it's yeah. going to be okay. Yeah. And that's what, that's what kind of innovation is, is so about. Right. And, and I want to, so I want to kind of shift this and like what we're seeing today is like you say, no patience, uh, no tolerance for difficulty. When things get right. difficult, we can't have a conversation and start to work through it. I mean, right. you know, it's like part of innovation is like when you have a problem, you got to back up maybe three steps and reassess right. things. Right. It's right. like, you know, the last three years, it's like, there's been an unwillingness to say, maybe we need to rethink this. Right. Right. And, right. and, and you know, it, it's just kind of interesting watching how the human condition is evolving into this thing. But like, people who are bringing out new ideas are kind of, in whatever industry, it's kind of getting, it's kind of drying up, and we need to have that right sort of environment of, of renaissance where that part of the human condition can kind of flourish. I mean, you, you, right. you see this because historically you had the dark ages followed by the renaissance. Right. 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 And then, then you, we went into another thing where there's this colonialization and, 
and that was like same thing corporate corporate in the form of government powers were taking right. over countries and then you had these revolutions and it's sort of right. like humanity seems to have to go through this stuff let's go through those cycles again yeah right 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 and then it's always those difficult times of war that people are forced to do hard things and forced right. to really use their brains right and, and you know it's like we shouldn't have to go through this if we just apply ourselves and we we, right. we give people that space and invest in in r d right and allow smaller companies to be able to do it you know and and that's you know the patents in general you know i've struggled with patents the last few years and we have patents and but then you look at the cost to defend a patent it's like you've got to be kidding me you know what company unless they're really large companies going to have that kind of money to actually you know defend a patent yeah you know, when like, you, and when you do a patent basically you're putting your design right up there right up there yeah and, yeah, and a lot like, of times okay. it's a blueprint for people to work around and so that's it, it it kind of it discourages small businesses from getting started because it's so difficult to protect themselves and to try to to try to develop a brand and develop a market when usually the big guys just gobble them up or they just copy them and then i mean and it happened to me in early stages where bigger companies would copy me and then they would think there people would think they were the first ones to do it. it's like no i've been doing this for a long time you know and so it, it, and that's frustrating for and it discourages small businesses from even getting started because you don't have that voice i've i've been saying this since the early 2000s like fat is the right. real fuel right and now all of a sudden since the faster came out in 2015 there's all these other people and a lot right. of these are people i trained right, right. and they're they're better at the social media and the presenting right. them. I exactly. Want to keep, I want to keep pushing the envelope. Right. 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 You know, right. you you'd rather be out doing a run, thinking about a pattern and some things of doing things. It's like okay, and then coming back and putting that thing. I mean, I, and when I when I go out and run, I come up with these things. And it's like these ideas, and it's like, oh man, that's a th those connections of all the different physiology. Right. And it's like it's it's hopefully I capture a few of them right yeah that's a right. fun time when the light bulb goes on though and they come together though isn't it yeah and it, it it seems to be the more the more i do that balancing of getting out and running in nature like the trail running it's like right that's what the first time i did a trail run because i like i said when i turned 40 i decided i gotta get in shape and i was right. doing mostly road running with a local running group uh -huh. uh, club but then they did a trail run and, and I'm like, this reminds me of hunting. Right. So I grew up hunting. Okay. It was just all, all day on the trails doing stuff. And it just made right. total sense to me. Right. Right. Yeah, that's and, cool. And, and then as I do this, you know, I'm sure you have those same epiphanies as you, especially with now where you are with your work. Right. All that it's like you, you get that, that free random thinking and it just, things happen. Right. And, and I don't know how to describe thing. it. You can't, you, can't for, you can't formulate that. You can't scale it. You can't monetize it. Right. Well, and I think one thing, one thing I've over the years too is creative people versus people that maybe aren't as creative. When you try to explain something, being a creative person, everything is formulated 100% in my head. 
colors, pattern pieces, shape, everything is formulated in my head. If you try to explain that to an, a non-creative person and you would say, it's going to look like this and the shape will be like this and this piece will be red and this whole piece will be like this. As I explain it to them, I'm just going through the picture in my mind, trying to explain it to them. And they'll say, what did you just say? Can you build me a sample? Can you show me a prototype? You know, they're not capable of formulating that creativity in their head. Yeah. And, and that's, yeah. And that's why I lose people when I talk yeah. about what the metabolic pathway, what's doing this is so just, just tell me how to do it. I'm like, right. You need to understand some of the why in order to really right. embrace the how. Right. And, and, and what you're saying is funny because my friend, Bruce LaBelle, you know, he was, right. he's an organic chemist and he's right. brilliant, but we'll have discussions about chemistry. Right. Right. And right. he'll be sitting there talking about, a chemical molecular structure as if it's right there in front of him right right this right the cis positions here the trans is there you got your amine yeah. group here and and it's like he can picture all this stuff in his head just like you're right. saying right and you know unless you're an organic chemist you're you're not going to understand it yeah you're like this guy's <laughs> this, this guy is like weird <laughs> yeah but to him it just makes total sense <laughs> right 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 so yeah any any ideas like we know where we're going, right? right. And, and that's the thing. It's like when you're when you're in that when you're fixated on the innovation thing, it's 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 all you can do. Like I say, it's selfish right. here, but like just like what we're talking about, it's like ultimately what we're doing is provide huge value to humanity and the people we right. serve and make life better. Right. And particularly in the sport we're in, right. What we're facilitating is is that higher health peak performance because because right you know what i'm seeing what we're seeing in the data and the real world experience of these people is this is what health should be studying right health is studying sick people and i'm not suggesting they don't stop sick studying sick people but if all you study right. are sick people how do you know what really healthy is right and you look at somebody like jeff at 51 and we've got tons of athletes that are in their 50s and 60s that are just right alive. and like i don't know if you've looked at his ultra sign up stuff and then know he's done some fkts and other stuff that right. aren't on ultra sign. right he's doing he's doing something big every six to eight weeks i know he's it's huge and he's not breaking down and that, i mean how many people have you seen come and go in the sport where they come in they're a phenom for three or four seasons and then yep. injuries off the map yeah, that's exactly that's the that's what happens in our sport every every day. You see people that they're the two year phenomenon, you know, and then they're gone. That's right, and, yeah. and it's like I'm like people burning a lot of sugar is not good. It's gonna it's gonna wreck you eventually. Right, right. And I'm not saying no sugar. I'm just saying burning tons of it. Yeah. And I think the other thing is that just their whole training procedures too, you know, I mean, the amount of miles that they're putting in are huge. Like I'm really good friends with Carl Meltzer and he's won more hundred milers than anybody and Jeff second, but he doesn't run more than 50, 50 miles a week, you know, and it's just like, he's able to, to have longevity out of it. And, and ultimately that's, that's what I'm hoping people will learn through all of this. If they, if they do really well with their nutrition, learn the fat adaptive stuff, learn to have their body be more efficient, then they'll be able to perform for a longer period of time, mostly just for longevity of life too. Well, well it's like, like I say, I've been saying this for a while now. It's like, whether you like it or not, you're entered in the ultimate endurance event. 
life. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. It's life. It's life. And, yeah. and, you know, people like us are here to help allow you to get that fitness to where you can live longer and better. Right. Right. So right. it's, it's exactly. a real cool, cool thing. Yeah, it's um, very cool. So let's just talk briefly about, you know, how we can encourage people to be early adopters because innovators are these weird guys, mostly guys. There's not, it's not that women can't be innovators, but like, like to a point, there's a very well-known feminist academic. So who, who says this, he says, when you look at the data, women tend to clump to the middle of the IQ spec intelligence spectrum. Mm -hmm. And she says, this is the reason why you don't have a lot of women, Jack the Rippers, for the same reason you don't have a lot of female Mozarts. Right. So you have this, this clumping. So, you know, you don't, you're not going to have this big pool of innovators, but we do need to foster that. Right. But at the same time, what we need to do is also foster people to, you know, assuming that in the data set of the human population, that, that innovation spectrum is very small. What we really want to talk about now is like somebody like Jeff, who's an early adopter. We need to foster early adoption as much as we need to foster innovation because it's the early adopters who help get right. innovation right. off the ground because they're the ones that are going to be those first customers in the cycle to bring that early majority and then the late majority right. to adopt change. Uh, any ideas on that? <laughs> that's kind of the marketing struggle, isn't it? Because I've kind you're of my working, whole you're world. Working with early, I mean, Jeff, Jeff's yeah. an early adopter of both of yeah. what we're doing, right? And he knows, yeah. And, yeah. And, and it's working for him. <laughs> it, it, it's working, you know, and, and, and I think that uh, as the sport grows, obviously more people will get into it and they'll realize that, that they need to uh, adapt to things earlier in their career if they want to take it seriously. But I, I think that also trying to figure out, and that's the challenge that I've always had. When I go to a trade show, I, I talk way above a lot of people's heads when it comes to the packs and things like that. Whereas my salespeople, they'll distill it down to like the three most important things. They call it our DNA. And, and for me, the way has, has been to get a great sales team and a great marketing team behind me so that they can take what's in my brain, distill it down to the like the three most critical things that need to, that that people need to understand and if they will truly understand those i can't expect them i can't expect them to understand the 50 things that are spinning through my brain but if you can distill it down to a small amount then they're able to understand the basic things and they're able to adopt earlier and that's how many, what's times, how many times has your marketing team told you to dumb it down Oh, I know. It, 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 <laughs> and they love, and, and, you know, I, I do my technical videos and, and we film those and, and stuff like that. And it trains our sales team and so forth. But, but the reality is only a certain people, and this, this was a hard lesson for me to learn. Only certain people will are interested or will take the time to listen to me talk for 30 minutes about one pack, you know, and, and so being able to just kind of I call it not really dumb it down, but kind of distill it down to the yeah. bare necessities, then that, yeah, that has been word. really distill helpful. Yeah. Distill yeah. it down. To, uh, that has really I'm been going through that process now because, 
you know, and you know how it goes because once you start talking a topic, you think of some other factor involved right. in it, then another one. Right. Once you go down that rabbit, and it just leads to all these things, and your brain is just, and, and people are, and people's eyes are glazing over. Right, right, and but so. Yeah, it is. They're they're glazing over, and so and that's difficult for for innovators because there's so much passion in the thought process. But it also is kind of, if you're talking to an innovator, it's kind of a a window into their mind, to to illustrate all the things that they had to think through in order to get to where they ended, you know, because it's very complex, very well, complex, and that's, and that's why people either reverse engineer or acquire yep because yep. it's it's way easier to pay a premium or just blatantly rip something off than and those people who do that they haven't even got a clue where to start with all that thought process well and they and they don't know why they're ripping stuff off they just think it works and so but but i think that the, the to answer your question i think that we have to figure out how to distill down the the most critical things usually it's like three things you know people's brains will allow like three things to come in what are the three most important yep. things you need to tell them about this and then they'll understand it <laughs> and then right. then we can get it, more people into it it's called the power of three yeah there you go yep 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 no and uh, i also think that what we also like i said about fostering innovation we need to foster more early adopters and it's right. about i think that one of the things that has to happen out there is we've got it because people are so what I call ensconced in this human construct now modern life. Uh -huh. We don't we not only don't have patience, we don't like the pain of doing things hard, but a lot of things now are driven off of fear-based marketing. Right. You look at health, politics, religion, right. it's it's not about what they're offering, it's fear of yeah. the unknown or right. other absolutely right. And when you get fear in people, you lose curiosity. People right. don't become curious and their minds aren't open. They become fixated on that fear because it's fight or right. flight. Right, right, right. right. And, and, you know, one of the great things about Jeff is he's so laid back and he's got such a good vibe to him that people can relate to. Right. That, that, it, that, that guard goes down. Right. And then they're accepting to what he's saying. And, and that needs to be another thing that needs to really start to be worked towards because that's what's going to get those early adopters because early adopters yeah they'll if it, oh it works fine but then there's going to be some early adopters who are going to want to know a little bit more or a lot more right right but those are the people who are going to advocate like you say they're going to be the ones that are going to distill it down to the a bigger a larger group of adopters to right. start to create that that I think that that's really insightful, you know, using Jeff as an example, I think that people want to see that you're human, I'm human, Jeff Browning's human, and, and, and those people like Jeff, we just finished a documentary on him, and running the Moab 240, and it, it's real, it's raw, it's this, he's a real person, you know, and, and he has real feelings, and he has faults, and he has struggles, and he gets cold, and he gets hypothermia, and, and, and I think the way we can get other people into it is to realize that the people that they immortalize that kind of put on a pedestal are real human too. And they have the same struggles that we all have. They're relatable. That's exactly right. And relatable. Things, yeah. Yeah. Right. And people want to relate and they look at Jeff and they say, he's superhuman. He's a freak. Yeah. And it's like, like, he'll tell you he's not, I mean, 
and I don't want to bag on his on his brother, but his brother is a Midwestern guy with the yeah. with the average population challenges. Right. You know, his parents were hardworking fam farming family. They they followed the government guidelines, and guess what it did. Right. So his genes aren't. It's like his genetic. Right. He doesn't have some special genetics. No. That that separate him from most people. Right. Right. right? And, right. And, and so, but people don't know that. They just see this Jeff Browning doing these incredible things. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, no, Jeff's work, Jeff's just been patient. He's been working hard. And he came to that point in his career, like like with the fat adaptation, he came to a point in his career where he was ready to give it up, the competitive part of it. <laughs> right. Because he was struggling and it's like, okay, I got to consider something different. And that's right. the thing. It's like, we all, I think one of the things is people, have to be curious to try new things. And that's right. one of the things that's kind of not happening because it's just become very, whether it's, and I think people need to take back their sovereignty of their, both their thinking and their bodies. Mm -hmm. and, and I think ultra running gets there, gets it out there because like you said about Jeff with the Moab 240 or just what we do, it's raw. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You, you know, you face struggle, but then you get to the top of that mountain. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, wow, I did this. It all came together. Yeah. 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 And then on the way down, something else comes into your brain. It's like, right. and I'm hoping that we can, we can, you know, make that difference because like, like there's a lot of so-called experts just trying to maintain their, their position of expertise as right. things change. And they, they don't want that to change because it, it, it challenges their, their dominance in that sport and it's it's just it's just sad right exactly yeah you know and i'm, I'm glad to see you're thriving because I, I you know one of the things i, I want to mention is as a kid growing up and i don't know if you remember this but here on the west coast we used to go to san francisco on occasion right and go to downtown san francisco and this was back in the era like at the very end of when abercrombie and fitch and eddie bauer were real outfitting companies right Right. They were before North Face got started. Right. And, you know, you would go to down in Union Square and on Post Street where Abercrombie and Fitch and Eddie Bauer were. And they were catering to these rich San Francisco people who would go on safaris and treks. Right. And they were building hardcore things. And then they got bought up by these New York clothing companies and they just took the brand and took the brand and left the, the real technical stuff you know you see how that's been transformed right you know yeah that's that happens a lot with brands doesn't it where they well, yeah. they start off a certain way and then and then they become a little bit mainstream when they're bought out and then they kind of lose their identity because what got them to where they went to you know is lost yeah and i have to give i don't know where north face is now but i know that i have to give them a lot of credit because yes up until recent, at least, I don't know where it is now because I haven't checked in, but, but in the right. last, a couple of years ago, they were still dedicated to making good technical wear right. and good technical gear, but they'd also been able to leverage that brand beautifully right. into more mainstream clothing, but they were committed to keeping that hardcore, hardcore gear brand. Going. And their stuff is, it's good quality, high quality things for right. sure. And that's one of the few companies that realizes it's like their technical gear is their R&D. Right. Right. And they, right. they get that, that if they, if they drop their technical gear just to do the mainstream, 
they you know that they would follow the same path as Abercrombie and Fitch and Eddie Bauer which are now kind of you know they're not doing what they because there was that quick quick when they when they made that transportation transformation it was that trip typical quick money because Mm -hmm. they were leveraging the brand on cheaper soft goods that rather technical goods right and North Face has resisted that yeah they've done a really good job maintaining any 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 mainstream ideas you guys are entertaining to kind of open it up? No, we 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 really feel, and I've I've done this over the years, you know, with the companies I've worked in. Sometimes we think, oh, we can make anything, you know. Let's try this bag. Let's try this bag, and and we haven't been really successful at trying to go down mainstream with our products. We've just stayed focused. We're okay staying focused. We and and that's that's you, our you plan. Know your niche. We know our niche. We know our niche and we stay in our niche. And I make like, <laughs> I make, I make backpacks for myself. I make backpacks for my kids and grandkids. And, and some of them are pretty cool, you know, and it's like, oh, we could make this and we could make this. And it's like, well, it's not really our niche though. Well, your grandkids are so lucky because you know, I'm sure <laughs> you, you, you have, you have them there helping you sew them together, right? Yeah. Uh, yes. <laughs> They're still really young. They're all under five at this t- point, but, um, yes crazy grandfather exactly crazy grandpa and and all of my grandkids get their first backpack from grandpa so (laughs) and you made it make it yeah how rare is that that's pretty innovative in these yeah it's fun yeah yeah well good i'm glad you're 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 enjoying life to the fullest man yeah it's good that's great to hear yeah and go ahead what what store you know what's your distribution like we want to give a shout out so that people can you know they can go to ultraspire.com yes ultraspire.com we're in specialty run stores there's some great ones all around the country running warehouse rei so you're in you're in the you're in the specialty retail box store so specialty yeah specialty retail stores is running specialty stores has been our main distribution channels and so just local specialty running stores you can find our products or just go to ultraspire.com okay so ultraspire.com and and if you're out there and you want to know where your handheld water bottles come you got you can thank Bryce for that and and he's got a whole bunch of new stuff that's actually pretty neat I'm going to stick with my old ultimate endurance bottles i just yeah, that I'm works. Used to them. they work it's like you know, pulling them out with my teeth taking a sip slamming the other bottle yeah you know the it's reality like, is we're creatures and the older i get the more i'm a creature of habit too it's <laughs> just yeah, like i have well, every teeth and they work except with our minds it's like i know I'm, I'm still noodling on stuff and I'm, I'm trying to get content I'm trying to stay focused to, to get my content together because I've got all this content all over all these years. I haven't taken it that last mile to be able right. to monetize it. Right. And it's like, I got to just get this stuff done. It's just like half scribble right. paragraphs of this topic or that topic. And it's right. It's like, I got to stop this stuff and get it down. And then I then it'll allow me to do more. Right. Reading of papers. I've got so many tabs open on my computers of papers. Oh. That's cool. You got a creative mind and it's always working. Oh, yeah. And it's like bringing all this stuff. It's like every time something I read something, it's like, oh, that could be happening over here and this and happen. It's, you know, the deal. Right. Exactly. Right? Wow. right. Like when somebody presents you with a new fabric or a new, you know, a new fabric or, um, right. 
strap material, buckles, and, straps. buckles magnets, mm -hmm. you know, like, I, cause I'm a gearhead. I mean, it's the whole physiology and stuff. It's no different than building an engine for your car or building right. a pack. It's just all this stuff that, you know, gearheads, you know, you want to just kind right. of dive in. So yeah. Concept yeah. to reality. It's the same in all, in all industries going yeah. from a, a thought to a reality. Well, very cool, Bryce. And I'm glad yeah, to hear thank you're, you so you're, much. You're, you're, you're interested in your, how long have you been doing fat adaptation? You know, I've actually been doing it a long time because, and how I got into it, it's kind of a funny story. I, I, I set some FKTs on like some mountain biking trails early on. And this was right when goo energy gel first came out and, and I use goo, but to do a long mountain bike ride, this one in particular, it's the white rim trail. I did it and I needed 30 packets of energy gel, but I do everything solo self-supported. I don't do a lot of, you know, races where there's a lot of aid stations. So I have to carry everything with me. And so I had 30 packets of gel and it's like, okay, Every time I would eat it, I can't litter, I'd shove it down my cycling jersey. And so at the end of this eight-hour bike ride, you know, <laughs> I've got this jersey full of gels. And I'm like, there's got to be a better way. And I just realized through training that if I could go out and I started with doing two and three-hour bike rides with just water only, and then I'd go four and five hours and then six yeah. hours with water only. And then I realized that by doing that, I could go down to just like one packet of gel an hour and I was fine. And I could, yep. and then I could go could super high output, go yeah. all day, super yeah. high output. And that was, that was early on. And a lot of it was because it was, I was tired of carrying so much gel with me. <laughs> it's got to yeah. make the body yeah. work. Yeah. So yeah, we've got a bunch of things to we can help you to, to tweak that. But but see, here's another person who's who's doing it successfully and yeah, and, and it absolutely works. In fact, what I'm training for now, I, I came off a little bit of a sore knee a few months ago and then I had a hernia and I've come back from that. But my mileage now, you know, I'm doing two to three hour runs, you know, at least once a week. And, and I'm purposely, nice. I just, I just drink water and that's it. And it's no problem. I don't bonk. I don't feel fatigued. Yeah. We'll just get you, get you add a little Vespa in some salt and you're you and with the water and you'll be you'll good. Be awesome. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful. Cool. Thank you. All right. Thanks. So nice much. talking with you. I sure appreciate it. Yeah, no, I appreciate this. this is a great conversation. It's, it's a necessary one because you know, like that paper I sent you, innovation is is on a decline, and and right. it's pretty pretty clear. But nobody nobody has a set business answer to do it. It's just like people have to have that environment and that motivation and the space right. to run because it is it's it's messy. Right. That's how it it happens. So right, right, great, awesome. Well, once again, Bryce Thatcher, uh, a true innovator in his sphere at ultraspire.com and he's also fat adapted and as we said one of the we have an early adopter in common with jeff browning who else maybe do we have in common um peter mortimer is also peter, with peter, us peter okay well there yeah, you go yeah. two, two guys who, who can sustain over two grams a minute yeah are, yeah. are guys that are yeah. early adopters and so People need to be get curious because what, what's working for them is really working for them. Yeah, it's working. Yeah. And it requires a lot of discipline. You know, it's just, it does. But once you, once you hone in and, and, and it, it's a change like Jeff, he, 
he comes over to our house and we eat the same, you know, our meals are the same, our food's the same, we eat the same, but it, but it's different than the world. No processed foods. You know, you just, you just have to make a fundamental lifestyle change. And, and that's what, that's how they're performing so well. Well, yeah. And the thing is, is like, and that's why I tell people, it's like, all I'm doing is getting back, getting people back to the physiology and metabolism that we're meant to have. This is the robust health that we're, we were gifted yeah, with. This is our ancestors. Yeah. This is our ancestors. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's like I said, it's the environment, stupid. Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and we, 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 you know, there's just all these unintended consequences where our own natural physiology in the modern environment is our undoing. Right. Like, like, whereas when we give it, get us back to the environment that shaped us, our metabolism and physiology really work for us. Right. Give us that Absolutely. robust health. But in the modern thing, it works against us. And, and, you know, Je Jeff's ge genetic pool is a perfect example of, right. of how that, how that works. So, right. Yeah, no, it's, it's really cool. And it's, it's good to see that, you know, and that's the thing. It's like part of that whole innovation track is, yeah, we want to, we, we, we can't, we're like a dog with a bone. We can't get rid of it. But part of that, part of that drive is to make things better and to, you know, provide, you know, those discoveries that solve the problems to make, you know, right. humanity a better place. Right, right. That's awesome. So, all right. Thank well, thanks so very much. much, Bryce. And, and thank hey. you all for listening.